0: Thank you for tuning in to Emanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Oh, good morning, everybody. It's uh, really nice to be home. My name is Dennis, and uh, I had the great privilege of pastoring here for a few days, and it's just really great to be back. And, As I've gotten to do uh, over the years, uh, my dear Marcia and I, we are very happy to announce the birth of our eighth grandchild. This is Cashel Keating, Cashel is an Irish name, born to our youngest, Bryce and Molly. Uh, Cashel weighed in at nine pounds, nine ounces. So he was a keeper, that's for sure. But uh, older sister and brother are thrilled to have them at home. Mama and baby are doing just great. We say praise the Lord. So now let's dig into the scriptures with all our family stuff done. I'm just real glad to be back with you. Uh, We're going to continue the series on the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and discover about love, plain and simple. So Open your Bibles or your phone or some kind of tablet that you might have with an app on it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, During our time together, we're going to study this great love chapter, as it's often called. It's familiar to many people. It's, it's read and, and announced and proclaimed at weddings and other significant life events. So we've studied it here numerous times at Emmanuel Faith Church. And so we know what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. Well, that familiarity is both a blessing and a challenge. It's a blessing in the fact that we know what God says about love and his love for us. We, we get that. The challenge, though, is we're so familiar with it that oftentimes we can just glaze over these familiar passages and really miss the life-altering truth that it, it contains. There's sometimes it just does a severe miramar right over the top of us, and we just kind of glaze. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I think it happens more than we care to admit here. And as a result of all of that, you and I and we, we can be pretty knowledgeable about the love chapter, but badly behaved when it comes to applying it. We can be orthodox in our doctrinal understanding of God's love for us, but we can really get out of whack in our relationships and have anger and bitterness and division show up. Happens to all of us with these familiar passages of Scripture. I've discovered in my own, it's far easier to spout off theology than it is to love my enemies, far easier to talk about what the scriptures say than to do what the scriptures tell me to do. And I think this is the reason why Christian churches, all who agree on doctrine, divide and split. It's why um, Christian couples, they agree that God loves them. They sing, you know, uh, all these great songs about God's love and everything. They, They sing that with all their hearts and then they split up. We can know about 1 Corinthians 13, but I think what we really need help with is practicing what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to do. So, How will studying this this morning help us do what it says? Or should we just call it a day, say, you know, we're supposed to love each other and go home. And don't say amen to that, okay? (laughs) But really, it begs the question, what difference is it going to make? We know what it says. Well, we study it because... We have always believed that God's Word has the power to change us and give us a new and a fresh vision, to touch us in a very real and new way when our hearts are open to it. And when we hear God's Word, respond to it by faith, it can really make A huge difference in our lives. And so when we ask, did you come to hear from the Lord this morning? That's not just a cliche kind of question, but it's a heart question. You really want to hear what God has for you this morning? Because that's going to determine whether this impacts us Or whether we simply glaze over it. So my heart's prayer from my own life. I've gone over 1 Corinthians 13 a lot. (laughs) I need a fresh touch. And I don't know about you, but I pray. That God will do as good work in you as he does in me. So. Let's find out what God has to say by remembering our historic context for chapter 13. Uh, These verses that we're about to study essentially are Paul's answer to the question that the Corinthians had asked about spiritual gifts. Chapters 12 through 14 is really just a unit. And as Pastor Ryan taught us last week, the problem in the church at Corinth was that some folks who had the upfront gifts, the preachers, the speakers that everybody saw, those folks became arrogant because of their influence and they came to the conclusion that they didn't need any other gifts around them. The eye was saying to the liver, I don't need you. That was an image that was used here. And Paul says, you're completely mistaken. That's chapter 12. God intentionally designed the church so that we would need each other. And you see how he drove it home through a series of rhetorical questions. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. See it with me? This will set our context and then launch us into our study. I'm going to use the New American Standard Bible just because I do, okay <laughs> look, look at the questions that Paul asks, verse twenty nine of chapter twelve. All are not apostles, are they? all are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? all do not have gift of t- healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? all do not interpret, do they? The answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, since one person doesn't have all of the gifts, I need you and you need me to use our gifts. Every single one of us has been gifted, and your gift is needed. You're welcome here. You are needed here. We're not going to say to anybody, Get out. We don't need you. Because that's Paul's whole point. God designed his body so that we would need each other. And that's why Paul adds. Verse 31. He says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. He says, Listen, there are gifts that we need to influence each other. And what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, same thing that he's saying to us at Emmanuel Faith Church this morning. Essentially this: We will grow. When each and every one of us recognizes I am needed in this church. Say it with me. I am needed in this church. You are. Do you believe that? You're needed here. Use that gift that God has given. But then Paul gave this additional insight. Changes everything. Verse 31. He says, And I show you a still more excellent way. Using your gift, really important to build up the church. But there's a better way to do it. A most excellent way to do it. And what's that best way to build up the church? Love each other. There it is. Spiritual gifts? Great! You want a faith to be a really spiritually healthy, strong place? Love each other. Now, it's really important um, that we define what kind of love is he talking about. Because that's the theme of the whole chapter. The chapter's all about love, but what kind of love is he talking about? Two Uh, original words that were used. I think most of you know that the uh, New Testament was written originally in the Greek language. And the Greek language, very specific in its use of words. Two words that were translated love in our Bible. The first is the word philia. It refers to a, a tenderness, an emotional sense of connection, between sisters and brothers and close friends. Uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Philia is the word, obviously, that's used there. And that kind of connection that you have with people in the church, critical for spiritual health. But interestingly, it's not the word that Paul used that says, The most excellent way to build up the church is to love each other. He didn't say to philia each other. He said to agape one another. Say that word, agape. Agape. It's a second kind of love. It's not in any way based upon how you feel towards another person. That's what philia is all about. Agape is the word that's about what you choose to do for someone else, regardless of the way that you feel towards her or him. If I had to define it, I would just say that agape is a determined act of self-giving without thought of personal gain. With this definition, if I can be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever truly agape before. Because there's something inside of me, and I think it's within all of us, that sees love as transactional. I love you in this way so that you'll love me in that way. In Latin, it's called quid pro quo, this for that. Well, that's not agape here. Agape is I'll scratch your back even if you don't scratch mine. That is a critical distinction. Agape love. Many of us do this. I'm not sure I do, like I said. but I think a parent who gets up and goes to work Monday morning, even though just bone tired, because there's a family to feed and bills to pay, I think that's agape. I think it's making dinner after doing 52 loads of laundry be in a taxi service I think that's agape I think it's when we have a friend who down in the dumps and is hurting and even though your reserves are a little bit low that you go and listen and try and help see that's agape it's a determined act of self-giving I'm not going to get anything back for this. I'm just going to do it because I love you. And it's not, that's the reason why it's God's love towards us. But God demonstrates his own agape toward us in that while we were so good, while we were so nice, and why we would give back to him, no, while we were yet, what's the word? sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus said, I love you and I'll go to the cross for you even though you don't like me. Even though you've sinned against me, I'll go and do it. Not best for me, but it's best for you. That's agape. See? So, best way to build up a manual faith church Go and agape one another. Go. Go go and agape one another. Don't have to ask permission, just go. If we don't, that's where trouble gets into the church. And that's what happened to the church corn. It's because they didn't love each other that they were all divided and they were quarreling. Chapter one. It's the reason why in chapters 2 through 4, they were so arrogant. It's the reason why there was immorality in chapter 5, lawsuits in chapter 6, bad marriage problems in chapter 7. It's why they misused their Christian freedoms in chapters 8 through 10. It's why they took advantage of other people at the Lord's table in chapter 11. And why their use of spiritual gifts was such a mess. Chapters 12 and 14. They forgot to agape one another. And it messed everything up. And Paul says, that's not the most excellent way. So in chapter 13, what he does is he says, here's what agape is all about. And he explains it. And so if if I had to summarize the challenge from chapter 13 into one key idea, it would be simply this. Since the Lord Jesus sacrificed for me, and I have believed in that, and it has set me free, forgiveness of sins, removal of the guilt, and end of the condemnation, Because of all that he has done, it's now my turn to go out and sacrifice for other people. Because Jesus agaped me, it's now my turn to go and agape other people. There it is. Go and do something nice for somebody. Without seeking any credit, maybe even without anybody knowing, just go and do something nice for somebody. Because that's what Jesus did for you, for me, for us. Go and do the dishes. (laughs) You know that project you told your wife that you would finish? Eight months ago? Go finish that project. Go compliment a coworker. You're really good at that. Say something nice to somebody. You know, when you're driving out of the parking lot today, go right ahead, go in front of me. Help a neighbor. I read a neat little story about a little kiddo. Next door neighbor, an elderly man lost his wife. He was out on his front porch crying. That little kiddo walked over, his mom watching. The little kiddo walked over, sat next to the gentleman, then came back after a little while. Mom said, What'd you say to him? The kiddo said, Nothing. I just cried with him. Not rocket science. Go and be nice to somebody. Go and agape him. Why? Because we have drunk deeply of His love. We've been forgiven by His grace. We, we, we bask in it. We stand in it. To quote Paul, it's grace. Because of that, we can go show it to other people. Or is is this, are you just glazing over? Oh yeah, I know this. Or is there something new and fresh? I want to be that kind of a Jesus follower. Walking in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. I I really want that. Now, I have to warn you. You go out of here and you love somebody like that. um, That person might try and manipulate you and use you. It happens. Does that mean we should not love I think it means we should keep right on loving because not loving is more painful and damaging to us than having your heart broken by somebody. Because what happens if we don't love? We kind of put it in a coffin, our hearts. We kind of seal it away. You're not going to hurt me. But what happens, the heart that's in there, it never gets broken because it becomes unbreakable. It becomes insensitive, it becomes calloused and dull. And I would tell you this the only place outside of heaven that's free from the dangers of love is hell itself. And our Lord went to the cross. Even though some people would manipulate it, misuse it, not believe it, misunderstand it, reject it, turn away, he still went. So it's our turn now. Okay? There's 1 Corinthians 13. We don't need more in the head, we just need to put it into practice. So, here's why. That's where Paul spent the vast majority of his time here. Why is this agape so important to do? First, it's required for earning eternal rewards. Here's our text. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nada, zilk zero, nothing, wow, much ado about nothing. This is where our hearts need to be tender. Why do I do what I do? Am am I doing this quid pro quo? Am I coming here and doing this because I think it's going to make you owe me something? Jesus just gave freely. And he warned us. It was Matthew 6 1. So watch out for doing good things for folks to be noticed by them. Watch out for that philanthropy so that people will come up and say, oh, you're the greatest. He said, you've got a reward down here. You won't get it up there. And therefore, you and I, we've got to search our hearts on this. Paul says it's true if you're the greatest orator in the world. Most gifted, silver-tongued preacher that's ever lived. It's true if you have the prophetic gifting where you know everything there is to know about the mysteries of God. It's true for the person who has faith, such a strong faith that would actually remove mountains. It's true for the person who's generous, sacrificial, gives everything away so that so that he can boast, man, look at what I've done. Profits me nothing. And beloved, that's not what God wants for us. He wants to bless us with rewards when we stand before him. So, go be nice to somebody Go love somebody. But you don't have to draw attention to yourself in doing it. Just be nice. Be, be giving. You'll earn rewards in heaven. He loved us. Our turn now to go and love others. Secondly, we should do it because love is what demonstrates a genuine faith. How do you really know if you're a follower of Jesus? Believe in the right stuff, doctrinal orthodoxy, critically important, but it's not the number one thing. It's love. It's agape. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have agape for one another. Again, please hear me. Doctrinal orthodoxy is, is critical. It's necessary. But it's this love. And that's why John wrote, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, they're lying. Boy, that's a strong term, isn't it? For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he's not seen. So obviously we go out of our way to help. We drink deeply. And the way that God shows that he is present and most actively at work in our hearts is when we agape each other. It's not theoretical abstraction. It's practical actions. And it's for that reason in verses four through eight, Paul describes love by using verbs. I've never understood why the translator don't translate these words as verbs in verses four and following. They're all action words. They're not nouns. Not descriptive words, they're action words. So are you saved? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, say amen. amen. Here's how you show it. First, love is being patient. That describe you. And it's interesting the this word that's used in the original here. It's only used in the New Testament for patience with people. So we're to be patient with people who bug us and disappoint us and embarrass us and offend us and inconvenience us. Know any EGR people? I call them extra grace required people. (laughs) Have one in your home? Well, God showed ex- extra grace to you and me and us, didn't He? He was patient with us. Now it's my turn to be patient with others. Say it with me. It's my turn to be patient with others. Say it. It's my turn to be with others. Go. That's the way that you'll agape each other. Love is, verse 4, being kind. Say it with me. It's my turn to be kind. God was kind with us. So go and be kind to somebody else. Go and be nice. Verse 4, love is not being jealous. Root word means to boil. In this context would refer to a negative boiling over typically shows itself in envy, the various translation. When you love somebody, you're not envious of their blessings. You rejoice when other people get blessed. And you certainly don't boast about your own blessings. Verse 4, love does not brag and is not arrogant. It doesn't puff itself up. Verse 5, it does not act unbecomingly. It doesn't dishonor us, the NIV. It isn't rude. Say it with me, it's my turn to be courteous. courteous. Come on. Let's be courteous to each other. Verse 5. It does not seek or insist on or demand its own. I think that kind of sums it all up. Agape, by its very nature, isn't selfish. When my kids were little, I've mentioned to you before, um, for Christmas... I had my kids. They said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I want you to memorize a few verses for me. I had enough underwear, okay? <laughs> so if, if you want your kids to do something nice, just ask them. Grandma, Grandpa, ask them. Memorize a verse. I asked my kids to, to uh, memorize a verse, and then they came on Christmas morning and shared it with me, and I had uh, my kids memorize 1 Corinthians 13.5. Love does not seek its own. And my youngest, when he was little, he came in and recited it and he said, love isn't (laughs) self-sickening. I thought, man, you are going to make a great theologian. (laughs) Because there's something inside of us that sickens our love. And we do transactional love. We do quid pro quo. We scratch your back so that you'll that's self-sickening and I'm not saying please hear me on this I'm not saying that self-care is selfish and that you run yourself empty that you don't have ever have any bound I'm not saying any of that I think we just know when we're making life all about us And boy, in a church, when life is all about you, you don't play my kind of music, man. I'm out of here. You don't promote this certain politician. I'm out of here. Not wrong to have opinions on stuff. I'm just saying that you got to move beyond that to think about what's good for everybody else. Verse 5. Love is not provoked. Uh, The the root word is word for sharpen. When when you're an agape person you don't develop a sharp edge where you're easily angered where you're Touchy, the ESV, where you're irritable. Can I describe anybody here? Pastor, I'm just temperamental. You know what I've learned? If you're temperamental, you're 90% temper and you're 10% mental. That's what I. <laughs> Don't be grouchy today. That's what, love isn't grouchy. Verse five, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I don't keep records. Don't become resentful because you hurt me eight years ago. Do we just pretend that people don't bug us? No. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love and truth are always going to go together. But what Paul is saying is that our greater concern is always about the relationship. That's why love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't take a failure as the final determination of what I think of a person. Why? Because I've failed myself. And he just keeps right on loving me. (laughs) And now it's my turn to love somebody else in his name the way that he loved me. Say, Dennis, that's hard to do. No, it's not. It's not hard to do that. It's impossible to do it. You understand that? To consistently love without expecting in return it's impossible to do over the long haul. There's a lot of pagans who do nice things for other people. We need to be honest about that. and They say, you bet. But it's the consistency, consistency part of it. Come, Holy Spirit. Take control of my will. this just flying over or is this getting into your heart come Holy Spirit I really want to be a follower of Jesus who loves so would you please take control and when we do that yeah he starts to produce things in our lives that we can't produce ourselves like agape And when he's in control, we don't carry out that selfishness that's inbred in me and you and us. So go and be nice to somebody. But this is where it starts. Here. It'll earn rewards. It'll demonstrate salvation. It reflects God's eternal character. Verse 8, love never fails. That doesn't mean that it always succeeds or that it never faces problems. The verb is literally love never falls, never collapses. The ESV translate, it never comes to an end. Simply stated, it lasts for all eternity. And where Paul is going with all of this is that's not true of spiritual gifts. That's, again, the context. They're temporary. Verse 8. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it'll be done away. Spiritual gifts are just temporary. That's the way God designed them. Not, Not designed to last forever. Verse 9, why? For now we know in part and we prophesy in part. We, we only get glimpses down here because we're limited. Verse 10, but when the perfect or completeness comes, the partial will be done away. When we see the Lord face to face, everything will be made perfect. Thus the illustration, verse 11, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Hopefully as we grow, we, somebody else doesn't have to cut our food. We grow out of our need. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Just all partial down here. It's all temporary, a little blurry at times. When we get there, everything will be completely clear. And because of that, Paul says, the mark of spiritual maturity and health in the church, not just the use of spiritual gifts, The real mark of maturity at Emmanuel Faith Church is agape love. That's the mark. Because it's going to last for all eternity, verse 13. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three. Down here, right now, faith and hope. But when we get to heaven, we don't need faith because we're going to see everything. We don't need hope in heaven because all of our hopes are going to be fulfilled. What's the one thing that's down here that lasts forever? It's love. And thus, the greatest of these is love. And so, Paul wraps up this whole section in chapter 14 and verse 1. And he simply says, pursue love. Pursue it your highest aim, your greatest goal, pursue it. So did you come to hear from the Lord this morning? Yeah. Go do something nice for somebody. Go serve. Go give yourself away. Because that's what God tells us to do. will bring our greatest growth here at a church. And why do we do it? Because he first loved us. And it's in this drinking deeply of his unconditional love that we in turn can then give it away. And someday, the, all of those rewards and everything will all come together, and here's what we'll end up doing because he's the motivation, he's the example for us. Um, Max Lucado, a great author and pastor, he wrote a book called The Applause of Heaven. I've mentioned this before. And he uses the imagery of a believer who dies and steps onto heaven's shore, coming out of the sea of death and stepping onto the shore. And, And Max Lucado explains it with the imagery that on either side of that pathway that the new believer walks are all the witnesses who have died before us. And as soon as the believer steps onto heaven's shore, the first witnesses start clapping. The second, the third, the fourth, and all the way down this walkway, Believers are clapping. You made it. (laughs) At the end is the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get there. The rewards that we've received, we take and we lay at his feet. Why? He loved us first. And now we get to love each other in his name. Did you come to hear from the Lord this morning?